0: welcome to running on ice the coolest community in freight i'm your host mary o'connell bringing you the latest tech updates warehouse news and everything happening in the cold chain world not only is there the coolest show in freight but there's also running on ice a newsletter that you can subscribe to on freightwaves.com running on ice before we get into our guest interview let's get into some headlines The IV bag market has hit a boom that is a little shocking. Intravenous fluid bags are used for delivering medication for chronic diseases, cancer, kidneys, and kidney disease, and et cetera. Health and safety measures uh, have increased the use of disposable IVs as they are much more convenient and easier for people to use. With the rising prevalence of chronic disorders such as diabetes, cancer, And the growing geriatric population the demand for disposable iv bags has dramatically increased meaning the global market value the global market is valued at 4.5 billion dollars and expected to grow in 8.6 percent annually through 2030. the frozen bakery market is anticipated to expand its fruits at a steady compound average growth rate of 6.5 percent between 2023 and 2033 the market is anticipated to cross a market share of $85 billion by The lot is likely to be valued at $48 billion in the United States in 2023. The restoration of the bakery industry, along with the young population choosing ready-to-eat food products, are adding value to market growth. The rising popularity of gluten-free organic bakery superfoods has gained traction for the market, New vendors experimenting with bakery items such as bread, dough, and toppings are also attracting their consumer base, expanding the industry across regions. Speaking of frozen baked goods, a new player has entered the chat. Creator of the textually uncomfortable, I said what I said, but still a fan favorite, chocolate donut, Entomins is coming to your freezer aisle. Bimbo Bakeries USA Entomins is getting into ice cream with a line of frozen treats inspired by the brand's popular baked product. The company said in a statement that these new frozen treats, which will be available at Walmart starting this month, come in six ice cream sandwich flavors, including glazed cookie donut ice cream, brownie cookie salted caramel ice cream, chocolate chip cookie ice cream, and many more. By entering the, new, the novel category, Entenmann's can expand its reach into other sections of the grocery store while not straying too far away from its position in sweets, where it had widespread market recognition. Today, we're welcomed by Jeff Mano, co-founder of FlexCold. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey,
1: Mary. Great to be here.
0: I'm very excited for today. Um, I have been kind of secretly following you guys, not moving not so secretly, following you guys for a while. And um, I don't know. I think what you guys have is pretty cool. So I'm excited to dive into it today. Uh, before we jump too far down that rabbit hole, why don't you give us a brief rundown and what led you to start uh, FlexCold?
1: Uh, sounds great. Um so, as, as Mary mentioned, Jeff Mano, um, my background, I spent the better part of 15 years in institutional real estate. Uh, most recently worked for a company, Star Real Estate Partners, um, primarily focused on multifamily and student housing, a lot of experience in hotels, so operationally intensive real estate. Um, what led me to FlexCold uh, was really that, um, I think, combination of real estate operations, in the ability to sort of integrate technology into the mix to, to really create a differentiated platform.
0: I like it. It just kind of, I feel like that unique background that you have in managing some of those other like properties is going to kind of be a nice foundation for getting things off the ground. It might be a little different than a hotel, but you know, the operationally things still have to move. So it kind of, it's nice to know that you kind of already have that background as like, oh, we, we adapt things on the fly. We're good to go.
1: Yes. Well, I think interestingly, we think of, uh, the cold storage as a hotel for
0: food. It really is when you think about it.
1: And and that's a lot of what, um, sort of is integrated into our model. Uh, it's really looking at, uh, things through that once again intersection of real estate, technology, and operations, but you know, really recognizing that you're housing a diverse landscape of food, diverse landscape of customers that all require different um, services offerings. Uh, you know, really dependent upon their needs.
0: And I like it. You gotta every because I mean everything's got a check-in, check-out time. You know, it's not staying there forever. And if it is, they're gonna pay a lot to stay there for a while.
1: Yes, exactly
0: for So I guess what is kind of because um, cold storage seems to be growing and growing in various weird market, not necessarily weird, but not necessarily what I would think prime markets all over the country. But kind of how do you see this trajectory of all this cold storage growth kind of continue on at least for like the next year or so?
1: Yeah, I, we look at it in a couple of ways. One, you have sort of macro trends. One of those is just aging infrastructure. A lot of what exists in the U.S. today is greater than 35 years old. So you have a lot of infrastructure that is just old and antiquated and cannot uh, efficiently service and house the product that exists. Um, that paired with just a very dynamic food supply chain, changes in customer be- you know buying patterns, um, you know really the. The, the, the space between production and consumption is just going to continue to put significant pressure on what exists today. Um, you know, While you have a lot of new entrants and new supply that has come into the market uh, most recently, we believe that there's a long runway to continue to really create value in this space. Um, and, and it really is continuing to look at how to innovate from a real estate perspective, how to really innovate and integrate the building design and programming within those four walls to really pair up with the operational requirements um, and really understanding the customers and their needs to, you know, really stay ahead of what we believe is a very dynamic space.
0: I feel like every other day I'm reading something that's like, oh, cold storage or is supposed to increase by this much or frozen food is increasing in its demand and I mean, I see it myself when I go to the grocery store. I feel like every time I go there, the freezer cases have all been rearranged. And I'm like, yeah, at this point in time, like, they're going to need to add another aisle of freezer because, you know, ice cream takes up half the aisle and then pizza has almost its own aisle. So it's one of those where, you know, and, and also more than that, like the rise of frozen vegetables and convenience foods like this, like, I think it's really just going to only continue to grow and develop and be kind of like the next, I don't almost like gold rush of freight, you know? Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, I think the diversification of products that require storage and require services above and beyond that, you know, you mentioned just in the freezer aisles, but you look at just the grocery store in general with, you know, lactose intolerant food and, um, ethnic foods. And it's just the, the, the amount of, um, the differentiation that exists once again, between that production and consumption not only in the U.S. in the grocery stores, but where food that's being produced in the U.S. where it's going globally, um, seafood that is produced and, and processed, um, you know, outside of the U.S. moving into the U.S., all of that infrastructure that is required to really continue to stay ahead of and service what is just a very dynamic space. Which goes back to why I got into it. You know, it was really ultimately food's essential but it's a space that is, you know, very dynamic if you can look at that integration and alignment between the real estate technology and operations, you know, we believe that, you know, there's there's a long runway to to continue to create value in a space that's essential to all of us.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think it's only I think that runway is only going to keep getting longer and longer as um as, you know, as we go forward, but I guess kind of what is the ultimate goal for flex cold like when someone says flex cold what do you want it to kind of be like synonymous with and kind of what's the overall like long-term vision for it
1: yep yeah um we want to build a great culture that will continue to attract um high performing um culturally aligned uh individuals that really continue to enhance and expand our capabilities across this sort of real estate technology and operational spectrum. Um, You know, we're looking to be a disruptor in the space. Uh, Jacksonville is our first uh, opportunity and our first facility, but we're, you know, we're looking to set this business up to go out and build a strategic network of eight to 10 plus facilities over the next three to five years. And, you know, I think from that point in time, um, you know, we really see where we continue to position ourselves to, um, you know, continue to leverage our capabilities to, uh, you know, I think create value, leverage customer relationships, you know, continue to be, uh, you know, hopefully a platform that groups look at and really see as um, sort of leading the industry uh, through, I think, an evolution.
0: I like it. I uh, I have a suggestion, if you would like. And I think it should be FlexCold, the or the refrigerated hotel just you know a little well come in come out stay as long as you need we got you no matter what just like kind of like we accept everybody come on we'll keep it cold we'll keep it frozen we'll keep it whatever you need um might not might not have the right you know buzz for marketing but i like it yes um so i guess you said that you already have your first uh uh facility in jacksonville um, which we'll touch on the whys of that in a little bit. But before we go into that, I guess I kind of want to know how do you keep momentum? Because, I mean, it's it's expensive to build facilities. And um, usually when companies are first starting out, they don't just have like a blank check to write whatever you want. So kind of how do you balance that momentum and that desire for growth um, without like, you know, running out of money?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um You know, I think what's exciting is we're in a space that is, there's high barriers to entry. Um, It's specialized. I think the fact that we have, uh, we, we you know, determined a business plan. And over the last three years, we've executed on that business plan by delivering this initial facility, proving concept, uh, setting up operations, building a team. Uh, it's a space that is attractive to a wide range of uh, investors and capital groups. And, you know, I think we're continuing to be thoughtful and strategic about who we partner with and how we set ourselves up for, uh, you know, really this transition from startup to scaling up. Um, You know, capital is clearly a huge component, but people and resources are another. And it's continuing to make sure we have the right people in the right positions to continue to, um, you know, build the right foundation that is going to allow us to build off of the success that we've created here in Jacksonville, but really do it at a pace that is in line with, I believe, uh, you know, the opportunity, as you mentioned, it's only getting more expensive to build the warehouses. Land is only becoming more scarce. Um, so I think our model of really looking at building efficiency within the warehouse really understanding the design and programming within those four walls to really align with operational requirements to continue to stay ahead of i think an industry that is going to still um or experience a lot of pressure um from just continued pressure on, or continued cost increases
0: oh absolutely i kind of feel that like cold sword warehouses right now are almost like a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. But um it's also just, you know, getting it built and making sure it's run efficiently because it's one thing to have a space, but to have, you know, not something that's necessarily run operationally well. That's gonna be a detriment. I also kinda like that you guys have seen the importance of the human part and staffing appropriately and the important culture that comes within that warehouse, because it's not easy to hire people to work at a refrigerated warehouse. So I think that, you know, not wasting any additional capital or resources on high turnover. I think that that's where that culture move is such, such a smart idea because it's, you don't have to just keep replacing people you can actually then say like we have a good group of people we have a pretty set team and then that frees up you know your entire operations for expanding and growing another one so i really like that you guys have taken that culture approach um because i feel like at the end of the day that's going to be the ultimate thing that sets you guys apart and say you know everyone's easy to work with we don't have high turnovers you know who you're going to talk to if something goes wrong you can just go ahead and call sheila and she's on it
1: you know absolutely i mean this is a people centric business. Um, and as much as we're going to continue to, um, really challenge ways to integrate and leverage technology, um, it's still a people centric business. You're still engaging with people on the other side of the phone with customers and, and you have to, you have to be a people first business, um, and, and, you know, really provide an environment that is going to allow us to ultimately compensate um, at the degree that's necessary and to continue to attract the right people, Um, which goes back to this design and programming and looking at ways to really drive those efficiencies through the upfront cost, through the ongoing operational costs and utilities and insurance and taxes, you know, really building a more efficient footprint, you know, looking at things back to the hotel for food. We look at things on a per pallet basis. It's all about the pallet. That's what drives everything. Same thing as a hotel room, same thing as an apartment unit. It's all about the palette. And if we can continue to find ways and integrate, um, uh, innovation, if you will, into the design and programming on the front end, it's going to create a more competitive cost basis and, um, operational landscape to allow us to continue to attract and, um, you know, build the right team and environment that is going to be the foundation for where we go from here.
0: So I guess when you talk about the innovation, what are some of the cooler innovations you guys have um, put into place in some of your operations that you're just kind of like, like the thing that you're probably the most proud of? You're like, oh, that was a really good move that we did.
1: Yeah, I it, it starts with uh, mobile racking, uh, which basically you have racking that sits on a mobile base to create more densification of the asset. So we built a 150,000 square foot warehouse here in Jacksonville with 25,000 pallet positions. Traditionally, with double deep racking or other racking systems, you would have need to uh, built another 75, 80,000 square feet of real estate to house the same amount of pallet positions. So that's huge as you think about upfront costs, as you think about energy usage, utilities, um, the 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 profitability and the savings that can be generated over a long period of time when you're building critical food infrastructure that's going to be around for 25, 30, 35 years, I think that is that's really the basis of how we got into this. Um, m- one of my partners, another co-founder, Todd Jessup, started a company. That was, uh, you know, the business model was mobile racking and integrating that racking into industrial warehouse spaces, which uh, over the course of time started to play more into the cold storage space because of cost, because of, um, you know, the ongoing cost to, to uh, you know, operate these warehouses. I brought the real estate capabilities, the capital, which you mentioned, which kind of goes to this vertically integrated uh, platform you know it's not just we're not just operators we're not just technology integrators we're not just real estate guys you know we're really cross functional and leveraging those disciplines to you know really create value and sort of challenge how to best position um you know this opportunity in a space that is just uh, you know, it, it's it's critical to continue to look at ways to create more efficiencies, um, you know, because of everything we've talked about.
0: I think that mobile racking is literally the definition of make the most out of what you have um, to free up that much extra space is insane and to me seems almost unheard of. But I mean, I'm not necessarily an expert in warehouse operations, but I think it's I think that's such a smart move because you literally just said, OK, we have this amount of space. We have to figure out what we do and to create. I just, I'm very impressed that you were able to create that much extra square footage through just one simple. I mean, probably not simple, but one decision in your in just the type of racking that you set up.
1: Yes, yeah, it's um, uh, th- th- there's simplicity in it, but it's uh, I would say it's it's a complicated execution across the board.
0: I mean, anything that sounds really nice and simple. Usually has a little bit of complexity to it. It's just the nature of the beast. Yes, absolutely. Um. So I guess why did you guys choose Jacksonville Port or the Port of Jacksonville as your first location? I mean, we taught, we had some, we had, we talked to the port a couple of weeks ago. We know the cold storage space is booming there, um, but it's booming in other areas as well. So what made Jacksonville, Florida, like you were like,
1: yes, this is it. Let's do it. We're, we're a Charleston-based company, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, our focus is the Southeast. Um, why Jacksonville? Uh, a lot of the recent supply uh, over the last, you know, three four years uh, that has come into the space has focused on larger Tier One markets. Uh, your Dallas's, Atlanta, Chicago, um, Jacksonville was attractive because you know we see we see it as a high growth market. Um, you have Jack's port that has made significant investments into deepening the Harbor investments in the infrastructure cranes and, and, you know, the physical infrastructure required to, you know, handle more volume, uh, logistically Jacksonville is positioned much more efficiently than, uh, South Florida, as an example, to really access a large amount of population in the Southeast, uh, great labor pool, um great place to do business. Uh, the, the city of Jacksonville, the state have been phenomenal to work with. And, you know, it really, and we found a great piece of land, uh, that was three miles from one of the main terminals, the Blount Island terminal. And, you know, it, it just, it all fell into place. Um, you know, a, a, a fundamental thesis for us is people population at ports or, uh, people production at ports. Um, you've got a lot of people migrating to the Southeast. You've got a port in Jacksonville, but you have other ports on the East coast of the U S that are continuing to gain more market share. And you have a significant amount of food production that happens in the Southeast. Um, and, and, you know, Jacksonville was really at the, uh, sort of middle of, of kind of that tier two growth market, but really overlaying sort of the fundamentals that, you know, we believe are, are really critical, and and you have aging infrastructure. Um, you know, yeah, there's new product coming, but ultimately, what exists today, um, you know, really kind of checks that aging um, uh, infrastructure box for us.
0: On top of everything that you guys found at Jacksonville, what el- Like, what other what other traits do you look for in a market when you're going to expand? So, for example. If you're gonna go um, maybe up to Charleston or Savannah, like what are some of those other things that you look at to expand into a market?
1: Yeah, I mean, we really, there's three main, uh, I would say, uh, driving factors. First is supply demand. You know, what exists in the market? You know, what is the demand for that space? You know, and, and you look at port markets or inland sort of population centers, the demand is going to vary. Um, you know, you really have sort of five main segments. You have proteins, you have finished goods, you have, uh, and then within each of those segments, um, you know, you have various forms of uh, sort of product and customer landscape. Um, so really it's understanding that demand picture. Um, in Jacksonville, you have poultry going out, you have seafood coming in, you have finished goods getting distributed out. So really understanding that demand picture, then what exists from an existing supply, aging infrastructure. You know, what are the services that are currently being offered by that existing product and then those existing providers? What are the services that are necessary to continue to um, capture that demand, or in some cases create more demand? So it's really working with. You mentioned Charleston. We have close relationships with the Port of Charleston. It's understanding what their needs are as far as a 3PL provider. There's a lot of poultry that goes out, goes out of the port uh, in Charleston, similar to a lot of the East Coast ports. Not a lot of seafood coming in. How can we bring our customer relationships? So the third piece is really that's, um, you know, relationships. How do we leverage customer relationships, vendors, strategic relationships with ports or, um, you know, with, uh you know, the various sort of municipalities, incentives. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, layers to what makes a successful cold storage warehouse. There's a lot of front end work with, uh, you know, whether it be the port or the city of Jacksonville, in the case of Jacksonville or city of Charleston. How do we really partner on the front end? How do we really leverage our existing customer relationships, which now at this point in time, six, seven months into operations of jacks, which we didn't have on the front end when we were building the facility, you know, we're able to really, we, we have a proof of concept. You know, we're not perfect at everything. We're continuing to improve and get better, but it's it's leveraging those relationships to understand their needs in other markets. Um, so it, it's, it, it's fundamentally supply and demand, um, but that sort of supply picture has a number of variables old existing operations, service offerings, uh, on the demand side, there's a number of variables and how do you marry up those two with our ability to deliver something that, you know, is modern, is innovative, is, um, you know, really looking at, uh, you know, the opportunity over a long period of time to, you know, partner with these locales to, uh, you know, really, uh, create value for both, um, for both sides.
0: So it's just a really simple process, you know. Basically, you just get it all from Google. <laughs> exactly. I'm totally kidding. That sounds like a very big undertaking. And, um, and uh, I'm surprised that any market gets decided on ever because that's just, I wouldn't even know where to start to begin sorting through all of that data. And that just, it's a lot. So massive props to you guys for actually being able to make a decision because my decision paralysis could never.
1: Well, it's it's a it's a space that historically... Um, you don't have, um, a lot of front-end commitments, right? Really getting into the demand side, that's the complicated piece. You can easily figure out where are the warehouses that exist today? Who are the operators of those warehouses? But to really understand the demand side and, you know, you go to a market like Chicago, Dallas, those are, those are mature markets. Uh, really looking at sort of growth markets, you know you're taking more of a leap of faith in, in really understanding, okay, you know, if we build this facility, how are we going to um, allow that demand picture to evolve by providing more capacity, by providing um, better service offerings or service offerings that don't exist today? in um, really looking at and partnering, you know, I've used that word, you know a lot, partnering with, the port, in the case of Jacks or other port locations, to really understand how we can um, leverage their capabilities, but really bring um, you know necessary and needed infrastructure to allow that demand profile to expand, um, and for us to you know play a big role in in kind of capturing that increased demand.
0: Ultimately, come in and save the day.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: we are running out of time, but there is a question that everyone that comes on the show has to answer, and this time Flex Cold is no exception. So the hardest question you might be asked all day today, is cereal a soup?
1: No. No, definitely not. It's its own animal.
0: I like it. Uh, I also think that cereal is not a soup. I think that, um, I think that, you know, it's not. It's just there's no way that it's considered a soup. But hey, some people have strong opinions on it, so
1: can't relate to somebody who thinks they're the same.
0: (laughs) Well, if someone has any hot takes on cerealist soup, or um, if they have any questions about maybe some mobile fracking, or you know where the next flex cold port is gonna, or the next flex cold storage is gonna be, where can they find you outside the show?
1: Um, They can go to flexcold.com and. Uh, follow us on linkedin follow us on instagram um we're, we're we're pretty out there invisible and um excited to just continue on this journey and look forward to you know really continuing to position flex Gold as as a leader in the space um really appreciate the time um and, and thank you for thinking
0: Anytime. I uh, am very excited about you guys. I am excited to see where the next port is um, or the next cold source facility is. Uh, I have my secret guesses, but we'll have to see what happens. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Mary. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on FreightWaves TV, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more Running on Ice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on FreightWaves.com slash Running on Ice. See you on the internet.